So the very first house I bought, I actually bought before we got married. Um, we had just met, my wife moved to Cleburne, Texas, and she had bought a house and I had bought a house. And when we got married, we decided to sell her house and move into mine. And so um, everything went fine for the first few years in our house. It was lovely. And um, until one day we started to see some, some issues. And so we called someone to come look at our house, and they said, hey, we think you have a foundation leak. I said, okay. He said, so before you do anything, you need to call the insurance company, and they need to come out and look at things. And so we had an insurance agent come out and send workers out to find out what was going on. And they said, well, you have a foundation leak for sure, and you need to get that fixed, and it's going to cost some money. So we had to have someone come in, and I, I didn't know how big of a ordeal this week is going to be until I came home from lunch one day and walked in through our living room and in the hallway there was a four foot by four foot hole that went all the way into the ground and there was a worker that all I could see was from basically his chest up because everything else was underground and they had made these tunnels under our house to fix pipes and plumbing and then when they got into it they discovered that the foundation work that was supposed to have happened before we purchased the house actually never happened. They just made it look like they did foundation work. And it was past the, the statute of limitations and so we couldn't do anything about it and so thankfully our insurance agent really took care of us and helped us out but it created this huge, huge problem. And the, the funny thing about it is going back just looking at our house, you would never know that there was a problem. You would never know. But there was a problem with the foundation that caused so many issues with the rest of our house. Maybe the most famous of all foundation problems is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Construction was started around 11... Um, I think 1172, and it took about 200 years to build. Now, what's crazy about this leaning tower of Pisa is the name Pisa, the city that it's built in, is known for its marshy land. That's actually what Pisa means. It's what it refers to as this marshy ground. And so they were building this massive tower on ground that did not have a strong and firm foundation. And so over the years, they have battled this foundation up to a few years ago where they actually thought they were going to lose the tower because the tilt had gotten so significant. And what architects actually ended up having to do was go into the other side and remove dirt because they could not firm up the foundation to the one side enough to really stabilize it and keep it from tilting. And the thing with foundations is they're so important to what is being built, but you never know that there's a problem until there's a problem. You never see the initial start of the problem. You just see the effects of the problem down the road. And for you and I, we have this foundation in our life, and I think what Jesus would say was that that would be your heart. It's kind of the foundation of everything in your life. 
And the problem is we don't really see that there's a problem until there's a problem. This story that, that Burke sang about, I, I had Burke sing it so I didn't have to because I wanted us to remember doing that in vacation Bible school and Bible classes growing up. I mean, you remember that song. And as I was trying to think through the words of the wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up, it's one of those stories that's so familiar to us and we're so used to hearing that sometimes I think we miss the significance of the story. But this story is about a foundation. It's about a foundation that if it's not strong and secure and stable, our lives will start to crack and crumble when times get difficult. You see, this parable that Jesus tells comes at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the conclusion, Jesus talks about two gates that you can go through. He talks about two kind of prophets, a false prophet and a true prophet. He talks about two kind of teachers. And then he talks about two kind of builders. There's a wise builder and a foolish builder. And all of this is the conclusion of a sermon where he tells them, don't be angry with people. Don't let anger consume your life. Right? You, there's, there's two ways to live. You can let anger have control of your life or you can have control of your anger. And he talks about forgiving people. And really there's two ways you can live. You can live a life of forgiveness or you can live a life where you hold on to grudges. And he talks about lust. And you can have these two types of lies. One where lust consumes you. Or one of a pure heart where you're really striving to not let lust grab hold of your life. One of trust and not worry. And so he wraps up this sermon with this story. With these words, Therefore, everyone who hears these words, these words he's referring to is this sermon that he's just given, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, these parables that Jesus tells are stories of everyday life with deep-rooted spiritual truths. Because as you hear this parable that Jesus tells at the conclusion of this sermon, you can picture someone building a house on a rock, 
and the rains coming down and the flood and the winds and the house standing firm. And you can picture someone building a house on sand that goes splat. It's one of those things you can visualize because it happens every single day. We see it going on. But the the truth is there are some deep-rooted spiritual truths in these stories. And one of the first things I notice from this parable is something that's so important for you and I. It's the rain and the wind and the storms came to both houses. It wasn't this wise man who built his house on the rock, and because he did that, the storms and the rain did not come. And it's not just this foolish man who built his house on the sand, and then the rain and the storms came. It's that both houses endured the same storm, but only one was prepared to withstand the storm. Only one was able to stand it. Now, growing up, I heard this parable so many times taught in Bible classes, and we sang about it. And I'll have to admit, most of the time growing up when I pictured this wise man building his house on a rock, it was this beautiful mountain. And then I imagined the foolish man building his house on this beautiful white sand beach. Because that was my context. That's what I had seen. That's what I knew. Galveston didn't look quite like this, but that was my context of someone who was building their house on the sand. And the problem is, that's not a picture of Jerusalem, is Jesus is talking to these disciples. That's probably not what it looked like. For the most part, in and around Israel and Jerusalem, most of the time, where you will find sand is in what is called a wadi. It is where these cliffs and these mountains and these hills come together and sand and sediment build the bottom. And the problem is, in this climate... They don't get rain very often. But when they get rain, even a little rain, it becomes a significant problem. So I want you to watch what happens when just a little bit of rain fills these wadis. This is a completely dry riverbed. And one of the most important things to understand is it is not raining here. This rainstorm occurred miles away. And in just minutes, it floods this wadi.
And so you see this and you think, well, that's, that's pretty significant, the amount of water. It would be pretty stupid to build a house there in the middle of that sand. You would look at that person and think, that wouldn't be smart. Because it doesn't take very much. Now I want you to listen. This is a story from the Jerusalem Post in May of 2007. Four young repellers were swept away and drowned Saturday afternoon after ignoring warning signs that a flash flood was rushing toward the narrow walls of Nahal Qumran. The bodies of the four climbers were recovered hours after the floodwaters slammed into them while their horrified friends looked on. Police said a group of 11 repellers had set out to hike on the hills near Qumran above the Dead Sea early Saturday morning. The adventurers told police that when they had set out, the weather was pleasant, but it changed around noon. Meteorologists had forecast rain for the weekend. For a 29-year-old photographer and flash flood chaser arrived at the top of the wadi about a half hour before the flood struck to photograph the dry riverbed turning into a thundering waterfall. He said that upon arriving at the cliff face, he and his companions saw the repellers below and warned them that a flash flood was en route. The climbers, he said, disregarded their admonitions and those of park wardens who warned the climbers to reach high ground. He said that he and his companions had called the Ian Getty rescue team who told them that they would not be able to rescue the repellers. We began to yell at the people to leave, but four decided to continue to repel. Their friends even yelled back at us, what are you doing? These are repelling instructors. They know what to do. He recalled hours after the tragedy. We saw the dust that precedes such floods, and we yelled down to them that the water was coming. The flood came right after. We saw their packs floating in the water, and we knew that barring a miracle, there was no way they could have survived. When a flash flood hits, it is like a bus hitting you at 100 miles per hour. Actually, theirs would be kilometers per hour. It's like a million buses worth of water coming down on you all at once. We told them that they were going to die, but they did not listen. I saw these people and knew they were going to die, and they didn't listen to me. I felt so helpless. And as you hear the words of that story, I think some of the most haunting words of the story are, what are you doing? These are repelling instructors. They know what to do. And Jesus tells this parable that there was a wise man and he built his house on the rock. And when the rains came and the winds blew and the flood waters rose, the house stood firm. But there was another guy, a foolish man, 
and as beautiful as the sand looked, he decided to build his house in the sand. And unfortunately, when the rains came, the foundation was not strong because he put a really, really stupid foundation, a really dumb place to build. And his house could not withstand. And I hear this story and it's so easy to see my life. All the times that I choose to build and put my hope on a foundation that is not going to last, that is not going to stand, and I start chasing after things that don't matter and don't last and constantly let me down. And so the question is, okay, so what is the rock that we would build on? And you know, the easy church answer is it's Jesus. But I think it would go a little further. It's not just Jesus, it's Jesus' teaching. But even more than that, it's obedience to Jesus' teaching. That you would forgive as He forgives. That you wouldn't let anger consume you, or lust consume you, or worry consume you. Because if you do, you're going to arrive at some, someday at this point where you're going to start to see the cracks in your life. You're going to start to see the problems in your life because you're holding on to stuff. And the problem is it starts to infect your heart. It starts to change the way you seem, see people. You interact with people. You love people. It changes everything because there's something happening below the surface and you don't see it until it's too late. And it's easy to forget about because you don't see it every single day. You don't see it till there's a problem. And those words haunt me. What are you doing? These are instructors. They know what to do. See, I think we make this fatal assumption that if we knew the right thing to do, then we would do it. If people knew the right thing to do, then it would be no problem. You wouldn't have to think about it. It wouldn't consume you. But at times, it's really tough to follow Jesus. At times, it's really difficult for our hearts not to start to pursue other things. 
things that we think are important and that matter and that are going to give us meaning and value and importance and significance until we find out that once again they let us down. See, Jesus' words sound so much like the wisdom literature of Israel. In Proverbs, it talks about this young man walking through the city streets. It says, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, Today I've filled my vows. I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deeply of love till morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home until the full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. At once, he followed her like an ox going to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to what I say. Do not let your hearts turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. If we knew what to do, we would do it. But the problem is that this world can be so seductive. And it is so easy to allow our hearts to start to pursue things that don't matter. To start worrying about what we will eat and drink and wear. To start focusing on the people that have done wrong to us and refusing to let go. To start allowing lust to grab hold of our heart. For anger to consume us. And here's what happens. Slowly, over time, there's a distance and a divide that grows between us and the heart of the Father. It doesn't happen at once. It's this slow seduction. Come on. Follow me. 
You need a new car. You need new clothes. You need a nicer house, a better job, more friends. You're entitled to feel good. Come on, follow me. There's a wise man. And he built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, and the wind and the rain, his house stood firm. And there was a foolish man. And as beautiful as it looked, he decided to build his house in the sand. And when the wind and the rain came, his house went splat. See, what's fascinating about the story of the four repellers? That day, records indicate they had about two millimeters of rain. It turned into a torrential flood. Don't worry. They know what they're doing. And see, here's the thing. My assumption, for, for many of you, you've been in church your whole life, you know. You know the words of Jesus. You know that they do give life. But if we're honest, it is so easy to be seduced and start chasing after things that don't really matter. See, and that's the importance of these times, that we come together and call one another back to the ways of Jesus. Because when I hear those words through the Sermon on the Mount, my biggest question, is it really possible to live His way? Is it really possible to forgive that way? Is it really possible to love? Is it really possible to not be angry? Is it really possible to not worry and to trust that God's got all of this in His hands? But here's the thing. The Jesus who calls you to live His way also empowers you to live His way. Because He promises that He would send His Spirit. It it wouldn't be enough just to know that He would give you His Spirit that would guide and lead you in His steps. But if you're like me, sometimes it's really easy to forget that He is the guide. It's easy to forget that He's the one that's supposed to be leading my steps and not me. Because as smart as I think I am, I really don't know that much. And as strong as I think I am, I can be seduced really easily. 
So may God call us back to be His people and walk in His way. Father, we thank You so much for this day. Father, we we admit that it is difficult. That Your ways, that Your teachings, Father, are contrary to everything that we see in this world. But Father, we know from experience that this world is decaying. It is dying. There is more conflict. There is more destruction. There are more problems. And so, Father, You've invited us to live in this world, but not to be of this world. To be a light in this world. May we as Your people Build our house on You as the foundation. Not enough just to know what to do. But Father, that we would walk in obedience step by step with You. We thank You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.